Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's podcast episode is all about nutrition myth-busting, health halos, and media hype. Nicola Ludlam-Rain is a specialist registered dietitian with over 12 years of clinical experience working for the NHS as well as privately. Nicola has a first-class Bachelor of Honours in Sport and Exercise Science, a postgraduate diploma in Dietetics, and a Master's in Health Science. She is a published author in the Journal of Human Nutrition and Dietetics and frequently features on live as well as pre-recorded TV. On today's episode, Nicola and I discuss the importance of evidence-based nutrition advice in the media, current nutrition trends, health halos, and her biggest predictions for 2022 in terms of health trends. You can follow Nicola on social media. She's at Nick's Nutrition and also on at Mummy Nutrition. Before we dive into today's episode, just a quick note to say that it is brought to you by Goodness Me, Australia's fastest growing online store and health subscription service. Shop their Mania sale on now with up to 20% off site-wide. Head to goodnessme.com.au to shop. Welcome to the podcast, Nicola. Um, I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's wonderful to be here from across the whole planet. I know, it's a pleasure. And thank you for um, making time in. It must be morning for you there, isn't it, if it's night time for me? Yeah, so 9.30 a.m. I'm fresh. My toddler is at nursery, so I've got the house to myself. It feels very nice. I was going to say, your lighting is very good, whereas I'm, I feel like I'm sitting here in darkness. I've actually got lights on, but the lighting just isn't very good in my office at all. But it is quite it is quite late, so that's why. <laughs> my excuse yeah no and I do have head-on lighting which is very flattering <laughs> you do you look you you're glowing at this time of morning particularly because you're what are you now 30 38 weeks 37 weeks pregnant yeah 38 and a half weeks pregnant right now so yeah I'm so glad to be doing this podcast and not um have a little newborn baby and be in hospital <laughs> wonderful well we're going to squeeze as much knowledge out of you as possible today but to start with can you let our listeners know just a little bit about yourself and what you do um for work on a day-to-day basis as a dietitian yeah so like yourself so I'm a registered dietitian I qualified around 12 years ago and my main speciality is basically weight management so I work for the National Health Service, the NHS in the UK, as well as a private hospital. And I do everything to do with weight loss from bariatric surgery, so which is obesity surgery. I do a bit of diabetes. I do weight management clinics. And then I also do media work. So I might do live TV or pre-recorded. And then I also work freelance on social media, which is how we connected. Absolutely. And I do love your account. So we'll make sure our listeners pop on over and give you a follow. Um, But in terms of the media in the UK, like I'm sure media works, you know, fairly similar worldwide. But why is it uh, why is it important for you to work with the media being a dietitian? Why is it important that we get evidence based nutrition messages um, out there for the general public? I think it's so important. And I think the main reason is because traditional media is consumed by so many people. It's not just us on social media who have like 100,000 followers or thousands of followers, but literally millions of people watch or read traditional media. So that's why it's so important for us to almost like bust through the headlines. 
And I think the main thing with the media is that they love a clickbait headline. So there might be like, for example, a really small study that says something and they've just completely extrapolated it and made a huge thing out of something that actually us as dietitians probably wouldn't talk about day to day because it was such a small sample size. And what we know is that actually you need lots of studies before it makes it into evidence-based practice, which is what dietitians do. And I think the other thing is that, especially in the topic of weight loss, people can be quite vulnerable, especially if people are quite desperate to lose weight. They clutch onto things that sound too good to be true. And I think the problem is if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is like detox teas and fat burning pills. So I think it's really good to get evidence-based practitioners into the media to basically dispel myths and to keep people grounded and to let people know that actually nine times out of 10, they probably know what they should be doing. It's just that they might need support in implementing it. They don't need a special tea or a special tablet. So yeah, that, that's why I think it's important. Definitely. And as you mentioned, like we're always looking for that quick fix. And I like to say to clients when they ask me about something, I'm like, no, it's too good to be true. I'm like, honestly, there's no quick fix. And if there was, dietitians would have bottled it up, put it into a powder and would be selling it many, many years ago. I'd be wanting to cash in on that as well if there was a magical fix that we could all could use, right? <laughs> exactly. And I mean, there is one weight loss pill in the UK. And I don't know if it's in Australia, actually. So on prescription, it's called Orlistat, mm -hmm. or you can buy it over the counter as Ally. The problem, though, is that the recommendations say it must be prescribed alongside dietetic support yeah. to basically coach the person into understanding how it works. Nine times out of 10, though, it is prescribed without any dietetic support. So people think that it almost like works by just kind of like making you poo out like loads of calories and you can carry on having quite, you know, a high fat normal diet. But actually, you need to be on quite a strict low fat diet. Um, you need to make other changes. And the difference when I see someone who's been prescribed it three months ago with no dietetic support versus me requesting it from the GP, having coached the, the patient on how it works is unbelievable. Like the people actually stick to it and they get results, but they don't get results because of the pill, they get results from lifestyle change with a little help from science. Definitely. And we do have all of that here. And we also have another one, um, a big one's duramide that we that we sort of, a lot of GPs use as well. But it's funny if you actually turn the, the label or the box over, it says in combination with a healthy diet and exercise as well. So it's like there's this, this little disclaimer that it's not really a, the magic pill that so many people think it is. You actually still have to put in the hard work and, and have that understanding, um, you know, nutrition wise, what's going to work for your body and, and maintain that regular exercise routine as well yeah i think the scary thing is is that um over the last say 10 years or even 20 years there's been lots of slimming pills which claim to like speed up your metabolism but they've actually been pulled off the market a because they can cause death and b they can cause depression so that's quite scary. There is um, a new injection actually that's coming out, which at the moment we use in diabetes. Um, and that's a, like a weekly injection and that can help someone to feel fuller. But like you said, it only works if the person makes the lifestyle changes. So it works alongside. So that's a quite an exciting thing because I think what we know is that when we pe when people want to lose weight, 
their signals are often deranged with regards to feelings of fullness and feelings of hunger. So if we can give those people a helping hand in the right direction, then I'm all for it. Mm, Absolutely. I think so too. But it has to be um, as part of that lifestyle approach as well, doesn't it? Not just in isolation, which I think so many people are hoping for that quick fix. Just do this one thing, take this one pill, get that one injection and we'll be fine. Yeah, 100%. And I think bariatric surgery is it's the end of the line for a lot of people. But even then, you don't realize how much hard work and effort goes into life after bariatric surgery. You know, you have to eat off a tea plate size for life. And bariatric surgery is not always successful. I'd say 90% of my clients experience success, but there is always the 10% who, if you go back to grazing and poor food choices, the stomach can expand. And it's really sad when people almost like they don't gain all the way back, but a vast majority. So, yeah, like you said, there's nothing foolproof. There's nothing magical. However, there are tools that can support definitely alongside professional coaching and help as well. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned um, that new injection coming out in the media, which is quite exciting. Anything else that's been trending um, nutrition wise in the media this month where, where you live over in the UK? Yeah, so right now, well, we're coming up to Halloween as we're recording it and winter. So there's been a lot of talk about well, recipes to make with pumpkins and you know, vitamin A and vitamin C. But I think the main thing, obviously, because we've just gone through COVID, it's been about wellness and also gut health. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people have been turning to almost like high dose supplementation, especially like things like vitamin C and zinc. But what we know is that the vast majority of people get most of their vitamin C, all of it from their diets, and then they just end up peeing it out. And actually vitamin C and zinc, it only really helps you to like prevent colds if you're an elite athlete or it shortens the duration of it slightly. The main thing that we've been telling people is to take their vitamin D. So 10 micrograms. And I don't know if this is the same advice in Australia, but in the UK, we cannot make vitamin D from the sun in winter months. So from between September to April. However, during COVID, there was a big campaign that because people were spending a lot of time inside to basically take it all year round. Um, And even though there's been huge campaigns, uh, the vast majority of people who I speak to, my patients at least, haven't been taking it. So obviously, there's some sort of conflict, even though it has been all over in the media. Um, and yeah, like I said, gut health, so the link between like, like the gut-brain axis and mood, um, things like diet, eating for, for, for depression and things like that. So what we know is that if you eat a Mediterranean style diet, it doesn't just have health benefits to your, for example, immune system or your physical health, but also your mental well-being as well. Because I think a lot of people have struggled this year because they've had a lot of social elements taken away. Um, And I think, I mean, the other trends like planetary health has always been a big one. So kind of like cutting down on, on meat consumption. So I always say it's fine to have things like meat and fish in the diet. But if we can focus more on a plant based diet, that's not only good for the environment, but that's great for your gut health as well. Um, so yeah, I think they're the main things. And I'm sure that they will carry on next year as well. 
Mm, definitely, yeah. And vitamin D is something that a lot of Aussies are quite deficient in, even in winter. Even though we're we're a sort of a country that experiences a lot of sunshine and a lot of warm weather for you know the large majority of the year, it definitely does not get to quote unquote winter temperatures where I live in Queensland. It's it's very warm. Even our winters are you know they're not really that cold, but we still have large percentages of people, you know, twenty thirty percent of the population who experience something like a vitamin D deficiency. So that is a really good reminder, um, particularly with you know the extended lockdowns and. And that sort of thing for people to even just go get a simple blood test from their doctor um, just to make sure that, you know, we're covering all the bases um, vitamin and mineral wise, because we don't want to generally just supplement um, without knowing that we have that deficiency, I guess, as well. Yeah, 100%. And I think when I do blood tests on my bariatric patients, like what we know is that unfortunately, if your BMI is above 30, that actually puts you at an another increased risk of vitamin D deficiency. So yeah, we tell people to routinely supplement, especially in the winter time. Um, and you can get vitamin D from things like egg yolks and oily fish and fortified breakfast cereals. However, it's really hard to get the amount that you need every single day. So yeah, I think like that's a big take home. And if people want to take a multivitamin with vitamin D in it, that's fine. I think I just almost like stay away from like high dose supplementation that your body perhaps doesn't need because your body's your body is very good at extracting nutrients. If you've got a balanced diet that's rich in variety, and I think variety is key for gut health and, and your immune too. Mm, and when you say high dose supplements, it, it brings to mind um, there was a big you know, with the celebrities in America um, and sort of some of the more um, I guess socialites and and. Um, I guess like sort of richer people in Australia are doing those like IV therapy drips. Um, and to me, I just think, oh my goodness, that's such high doses of vitamins and minerals that we're putting into our body where like, we don't even really know what that does. Like we don't have the research and science. Like that makes me so just kind of cringe. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like I just don't know the long-term ramifications. Is that something that the UK has sort of caught onto as well? These IV sort of therapy drips, I've seen them for like energy. I've seen them for immunity. I'm pretty sure I read a study about um, someone was kind of getting sued because they were promoting one for like immunity COVID in terms of like you go to the clinic, you get this IV drip put in and it's supposed to like boost your immunity to help prevent COVID. And I was like, oh my goodness, just, yeah. I was like, I don't even know where to start with that, with how many things are wrong with that situation. Yeah, I think it's really scary. And I mean, injecting any sort of needle into your body is already a risk of things like infection. And a lot of these clinics that are popping up, unfortunately, are not regulated. I think the main thing that I've seen with regards to IV drips has been like post hangover which is all kinds of wrong. I mean, the best, the best key for a hangover is, is prevention and, and, you know, hydration and getting some carbohydrates into you and yes, getting some nourishing food. But exactly what you said, we don't know the effects of basically long-term IV supplementation. And who knows, if you are doing the IVs, your body might become less efficient at extracting nu- nutrients from food. So what are you doing long-term? And also, Food isn't just nutrients, it's a whole plethora of different things like fiber that you're not getting IV. And it's the food actually going into your gut that does the benefits, that has that effect on your your bacteria. So IVs, yeah, it's not for me, not something that I would ever recommend or do personally for many reasons. Definitely. And do you feel like with all of these things, you know, popping up in the media, they always report on celebrities, they're always like, you know, 
this celebrity is doing this thing, like Beyonce is doing this, Oprah's doing this. Do you feel like as a dietitian, it's harder to cut through the noise and to get our sort of our balance messages seen and heard in the media? I mean, there's so many experts. I mean, celebrities are one thing, but there's so many just quote unquote influencers and mummy bloggers and that sort of thing online these days with tremendous followings. Like I know people who have millions of followers and they don't have one qualification to their name. They've got their own healthy eBooks. They've got smoothie guides. They've got their 12 week program. Um, um, do you feel like as dietitians, it's harder for us to cut through with these balanced messages? Yeah, 100% I agree. So one of the big issues in the UK at the moment is the fact that the term nutritionist isn't protected. So that means that anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, even if they've just had a one day course. And the lay person out there doesn't know the difference between a nutritionist, a registered nutritionist who's done some sort of verified degree and then a dietitian so nobody can call themselves a dietitian unless they've done an accredited course and then carries on learning um i i always feel frustrated because i think the big trend amongst influencers is kind of like eat this and you will look like me and actually looking like me is 90 percent genetic <laughs> and yep. that message just doesn't come across and i think when i first qualified as a dietitian I did do what I eat in a day videos on YouTube back in the day, um, just because I thought, oh, I'm just providing inspiration. However, I then realized that people who are consuming this content take it literally. And I was starting to get really specific questions, you know, like how much of this do you eat? And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what you eat in a day videos is just a complete snapshot. You don't know what that person a, hasn't shown on screen. B, is eating for the rest of the day. Their genetic makeup is completely different to you, different activity levels, different age, different size. So I think it's fine to take inspiration from these people, but you have to take it with a pinch of salt. Um, and I think the main frustration, like with regards to dietitians and registered nutritionists, I think we were saying before we started recording that we are all on the same page and we're all promoting like the same information because it's evidence-based. But I almost feel like people get bored of it and they're thinking, do you know what? Like I actually, th there's something else out there that these dietitians aren't telling me. And that's mm -hmm. when they start clutching on to kind of like the detox teas. And these people can make claims that registered dietitians cannot make. And I think that's why they sound so attractive. They've got good food lists, bad food lists. And what we know is that there's no such thing as good and bad diet, good and bad foods. There's no such thing as this black and white thinking, which people love a list. And people, my clients, my patients always say to me, I really wish Nicola that they just had an aisle full of healthy stuff or full of stuff for people with diabetes. And I always say, well, they kind of do. It's at the start and it's called the fruit and veg section. <laughs> um, so we can eat anything and everything. It's just the portion size and the frequency that matters. But that's it's hard to get your head around and hard to implement long term. And that's why people want this like the magic fix or they think that there's something out there that they don't know but they do know it they do yeah and I agree like the amount of times you get questions that are really specific like exactly how much do you eat of that and I found that even more so since I've been pregnant is that people they're like how much weight have you put on um can you send me your exercise regime that you're doing in pregnancy can you tell me what went into that recipe because I'm pregnant and I don't know what to cook and it's like it's fine to give out that general advice but I'm like I'm not going to tell you how much weight I've put on because I'm six foot one and I'm probably very different to you I'm not going to tell you my exercise routine because it's being cleared for me by my physio and that's the things that are safe for me to do and every pregnancy is different I'm not going to tell you what I ate for breakfast because my requirements are probably very different but I think it's hard for people to know that and there is a lot of just so much confusion when it comes to nutrition isn't there and so many people online without the proper qualifications promoting 
X, Y, Z and there's this is good and this is good and it's like don't eat fruit, it's got too much sugar, fruit's incredibly healthy. Um, like it's just so, <laughs> it's so confusing for so many people. Like I get it from a consumer perspective. Um, we just want it, we just want it to be easy and sometimes I do feel like as dietitians we have the boring message. It's like people have heard it a hundred times like eat, you know, eat good quality whole foods, not too much, balance, moderation, portions control, but it's not sexy and it doesn't really sell, does it? So it's hard for people to go, okay, I'm just going to do this when there's something like new and shiny over here that everybody wants to try. <laughs> do you know what? Picking up on what you just said, I think that that's why it's so important to have people like me and you to have registered dietitians on social media, creating like snappy content and bite-sized content. Because the funniest thing ever always happens to me so um, I was once on BBC Breakfast, I think it was the first time I was ever on TV about seven years ago. And I've always told my family to limit their fruit juice to 150 mils a day. No one ever listens. I went on BBC Breakfast to basically share this message. It was all around fruit juice and added sugars. And no joke, all of my family were like, all right, we'll, we'll start having 150 mils a day now. And I was thinking, You've lived with me for like <laughs> all of this time. I've always told you this. However, as soon as I go on TV, that's when my family and friends start listening. And I just find it so funny. So if you are a dietitian or a healthcare professional, like try and get into the media, but try and make your like content exciting and snappy. And I think that's what our role is. And that's what our challenge is now. So we have to do these fun reels and things just to get the message out there in a, in a sexy manner, like you said. And I love the fact that you just said that you're six foot one because I'm five foot three. And I mean, you look <laughs> incredible. But even just knowing that, I mean, how can someone who's five foot three even compare a fitness regime or, you know, what they're eating to someone who's six foot one? Like, it's completely different. Like, the body shape, you will never ever, someone who's small, five foot three, will never ever look like someone who's six foot one because it's just genetically impossible. So I think that's the main thing about influencers that yeah, they almost need like a bit of a disclaimer. And I don't think that the disclaimers in the nutrition industry are out there enough. Mm, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I'm interrupting this podcast to bring you a healthy break from today's sponsor, Goodness Me. Goodness Me is your one-stop shop for all your healthy pantry essentials that make you feel good and actually taste delicious. Goodness Me has a mania sale now on with up to 20% off site-wide. It's the perfect opportunity for you to stock up on your favorite pantry staples or start a Goodness Me box description. With Christmas just around the corner, a Goodness Me box is a perfect self-care gift for your loved ones. Order yours today and get it delivered just in time for Christmas. Goodness Me believes that everyone deserves to eat real food that makes them feel good. So come and explore their range today. Visit www.goodnessme.com.au for up to 20% off site-wide. And speaking of, I guess, um, you know, making our nutrition messages sexy, something that's very sexy and very trending at the moment is what we sort of, or what, um, there's a term called health halos. And I was saying to you, like, I think it's even made its way into the dictionary. Um, you know, dietitians have known about this for a little while now, but it's becoming more popular and it's often, you know, health, health foods have made it into the health food aisle, but not necessarily because they're, they're better for us, but they are definitely sort of praised by the health industry and by influencers for being better for us. But often I just find it's through like really clever and targeted marketing that it might have, you know, a nutrient that's a little bit higher, but the overall um, nutrition, you know, 
the nutrition of that food isn't necessarily better. So how do you feel about health halos in the media? Um, And do you think this is something that our listeners can potentially identify with? Yeah, 100%. I think health halos are almost like the most confusing product out there. They're basically a food, like you said, that might have a claim on it, for example, high in protein or natural or superfood. However, it's disguising what actually is in the food. And I always tell my patients, if you want to know if that product is quote unquote healthy, turn the packet over and just look at the ingredients because the ingredients never lie. It goes biggest ingredient first to smallest. And I think one of my biggest bugbears of like health halos is cereals, for example, like Frosties or Cocoa Pops. If they've got the word low fat on, I just find it so infuriating because cereals by nature are low in fat, but they're often high in sugar. Um, And I remember once when I, I was in the supermarket and I did a story on, it was this strawberry snack that I think was being sold to children. And it said it was like yogurt covered strawberries. And apparently my friend was watching my stories and saw that I'd taken a picture and thought, oh, wow, if Nick's promoting this, then it must be healthy. However, the commentary was like, be warned, like, look at the ingredients list. The (laughs) ingredients list was basically, it was sugar first. It was not yogurt coated. It had like some sort of like sugar coating. And it was, it was basically just like eating sweets. But the way that it looked, it looked like you were eating strawberries and yogurt and it couldn't have been far from it. So, yeah, I think it's really frustrating and I think the government will clamp down on these things um, so that it's not deceiving. And I think one of the really interesting things is that the word healthy isn't really protected. So, for example, as long as you can justify why a product is healthy, you can stick it on the label. So, for example, if you've got a really high fat like pie, as long as it's got a tomato in it, you can say that it's healthy because the one tomato provides vitamin C, but what else is in there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's funny because um, that the kid snack, or the the yogurt strawberries, really reminds me of something over here in Australia. There was a brand. I never really, you know, I don't like to name and shame brands or that sort of thing, but I can't even remember off the top of my head. It was years ago and it was essentially the product was promoting like made with real fruit. And I think basically they got fined and they had to pull the product from the shelf because I think it had overall like 2% blueberries in there. And the rest of it was literally just like sugar, palm oil, butter. Um, It was basically just like they called it like a healthy blueberry cracker or something, but essentially it had like 2% blueberries in it. And it's like, you can't say that's made with real fruit. Like just the marketing of that was ridiculous. And there was a lot of noise made about that. And I think the company ended up just fully pulling their product off the shelf, which I think is fabulous. But it's like, as parents, we're going to feed this to our toddlers thinking that it's a better choice. But in reality, it's just jack full of sugar and, you know, like palm oil and butter and that sort of thing. Like it's absolutely not a better choice. But a lot of parents will probably let their children eat that quite frequently thinking that that's a healthier product because that's the way that it's marketed at us, which is, it's it's scary, isn't it? And quite sad. Yeah. And I don't know why more of these companies don't employ like registered dietitians or nutritionists because people are getting savvier now. People are getting cleverer and are looking at the ingredients. And in the UK, there's um, a very popular drink and a plastic drinks bottle for children. And my toddler does have it and it's mainly made from like water and fruit juices, but then it has some sweeteners in it. Now, I'm completely fine with sweeteners. They're very highly regulated. I have sweeteners and my toddler has small amount of sweeteners. However, what I learned recently is that you're not meant to put sweeteners in products for under threes. And this product is advertised and marketed at under threes. And it is so sweet, this drink. And I'm like, why do toddlers need this drink that is so sweet? Why not just leave the sweeteners out 
and maybe put a bit of vitamin C in there for a bit of um, like preservation and just keep it with the water and the fruit juice. I almost, I really want to ask this, this company, they actually asked to work with me um, on my social media account and I turned them down because I just said, I can't promote that mums buy this, even though I do buy it personally. It's a health halo because you've got all these fruits on the bottle, but then you're putting in the sweeteners, which aren't really designed for under threes, but you're marketing it for under threes. So I just think for me, it's not the fact that the sweeteners are there. It's the it's the taste that it gives. And then that might predispose your child to wanting sweeter and sweeter artificially sweet foods yeah health halos have definitely got something to ask for so if it's all right with you i'd love to play like a little myth busting game with you nicola um if that sounds fun to you yes go for it so we're going to go through a couple of products that i would consider have the health halo hashtag um and you can let me know whether or not you think it's a better option or whether you think it's just really got that health halo banner on it or whether there is actually some truth and there is a little bit more nutrition compared to the regular version of the product does that sound all right yeah yeah, let's do it. Wonderful. So the first one I think is something that as dietitians, we're like, oh my goodness, I'm so sick of hearing about this. Um, coconut oil. Is that a better option or the best option when it comes to our oils? I would say it's definitely a health halo because unfortunately, coconut oil has so much saturated fat in there, like more so than butter. And what we know is that the best type of fat in our diet, Mediterranean style diet is unsaturated. So things like rapeseed oil, olive oil, if you're going for the yellow one in cooking, the green one for salad dressings. If you really want to use coconut oil, it is not the elixir of life. It is quite good at high temperatures. So if you're cooking like a Thai cuisine and you want to use a little bit of coconut oil, that's fine. But I would say make sure that the predominant type of oil fat in your diet is unsaturated, not coconut oil. Don't put it in your coffee either or butter. <laughs> so gross. But people do. So, you know, no judgment here, but you're definitely not, as you said, it's not a magical elixir. You're not getting all of these positive health benefits like people think, like I think a lot of people think it's fat burning, um, but it's simply not. It's just adding additional fat to your diet. There's nothing fat burning about it. <laughs> no. And, and of course it's natural, but just like olive oil is natural. So yeah, you can skip it. You can use it in baking occasionally. That's fine. But don't don't eat large quantities of it. Definitely not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the next one, um, I had a, a new client sign up with me a little while ago and she said to me, you'll be so proud of me before I even started with you. I swapped my um, white sugar in my in my coffee and my tea for organic brown sugar. And I was like, oh, I am really proud of you. That's wonderful. But then we had to have this conversation around how um, sugar is sugar. So the next one is organic brown sugar. How do you feel about that as a health halo? Do you know what? 100% it is a health halo. And I think people get confused because we always say, ideally, if you can swap the majority of white carbs in your diet, for brown like whole milk bread whole milk pasta whole, um, whole grain rice that's great because it's more fiber that doesn't apply to sugar so like you said like sugar is sugar i've even seen on the label like cane sugar sugar is from the cane plant it's just a way of marketing and making making sugar sound less bad for us but unfortunately all sugars so free sugars have to be limited so in the uk our guidelines is less than 30 grams a day so if you check in the packet it's about seven cubes so less for kids and it's mainly from like a weight management from a dental health point of view so yeah organic brown sugar i've definitely heard that ideally i'd say to people stop putting sugar in their drinks because that's the big if you can make a small change that makes a big difference that will make a huge difference because people are often drinking teas and coffees all day so if you can gradually wean yourself off, I'd even say adding a sweetener in there is better 
because then you're not exposing yourself to lots of sugar throughout the day, which has detrimental impacts, not only on your potentially your calorie intake, but your dental health as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So on that train of thought, sugar is sugar. The next one would be um, manuka honey. So again, a lot of people think that because honey is sort of natural and raw, and it's funny because like white cane sugar is pretty much as natural as it comes right as from, is from the cane plant. You can't get any more natural, but a lot of people will think that, you know, honey being a health halo, they think it's better for you. It's more natural. Um, what about manuka honey? Because I know there is a small amount of research around, um, I think it's really from a topical perspective in terms of wound healing manuka honey can be good as well but what if we're using it in our cooking and in our baking is that any better for us than say white cane sugar yeah so i would say if anyone is getting their nutrients from sugar there's probably something wrong with their diets because you're probably having it in such large quantities i think manuka honey like you said like the high grade stuff um has got antibacterial properties i mean the stuff that they use in hospital is very specific it's got the impurities removed so don't start putting honey on wounds it has to be like medical grade if say you've got a sore throat like there might be some research to say have you know manuka honey and a warm drink or you know have it on a spoon but really if you're using it in baking i just say just use normal honey and treat it exactly like sugar as you said sugar is sugar it's not any better for us and the antibacterial properties that it has. Um, I, yeah, it, you'd have to have it in really large quantities and it has to be medical grade if you're going to be on, if you're going to be putting out cuts and it's really expensive as well. So I think just save it if you are ill and, you know, if it's quite warming for you and there's a psychological benefit, but it's not something that I would recommend to have a lot of, um, yeah, not good for your teeth either. Mm, I think baking with it would be very expensive, wouldn't it? <laughs> regularly extremely yeah i just buy the supermarket own brand stuff if i need to do baking with honey definitely all right and the next one is himalayan pink salt so it looks very pretty but does it actually have um, i guess more nutrition than regular table salt so i think from a nutrient point of view it might have slightly more but that just goes back to the sugar thing in that if you're getting your nutrients from salt you're probably putting too much salt into your diet because you've also got the sodium in there, which isn't good for things like blood pressure. And really, you want to be getting your nutrients from your fruits, your vegetables, your whole grains, things like oily fish. So if you love the look of it and you love the taste of it and you're just using it in small amounts and you've got the money to spend on it, fine. But really, like, there's nothing wrong with a small amount of white salt. Like, it's, it's on a par. And I think if you are someone who, who likes salt, well, A, I would always say to try and cut down. But try and keep your vegetable intake up because vegetables provide potassium. And what we know is that potassium and sodium kind of like they work like on a seesaw. So, yeah, definitely don't go overboard on pink Himalayan sea salt. Buy it if you really want to, but yeah, just keep it to moderation because of the sodium levels. Mm-hmm. And the next one, I must admit, I have never once activated my nuts. I don't have time for that. And I'm sure being a busy mum with another on the way, you don't have time to activate your nuts either. Is there any truth that soaking and activating our nuts makes them more nutritious or makes them easier for our gut to break down? Yeah, so I think our gut is really clever and it adapts to what we are eating. And actually, sometimes it is beneficial to have things in your diet that is slightly harder to break down because then we get slightly more roughage and more fiber. Again, I've never activated my nuts. I think it's something that I actually would have to Google to know exactly how to do it. I think if you are someone who doesn't like eating normal whole nuts, you can have them ground, which is slightly easier to digest. But yeah, you don't have to activate them. And 
when you look at the research studies, I'm not like they're, they're not activating their nuts. Like as a part of a Mediterranean style diet, nuts and nuts, like a handful of nuts as a snack. Um, so yeah, I would skip the activation part. We want to make healthy eating easier. So I'm all about reducing barriers and reducing cost where possible. Mm, and we know that nuts are a wonderful, healthy addition to, the, to our diet. And we know that around, I think, 30 grams a day is a sort of considered a serving size for most people. And that's a really, really wonderful addition, um, whether or not you choose to soak them and activate them or whether you just choose to eat them in their normal form like you and I, because we don't have time to soak and activate them. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. All right. The next one I think is really come across from sort of our paleo keto style community where we know that there's a big push. And as you mentioned in the diet, for, uh, in the media, for more of a plant-based sort of style living, we know it's so important for our gut health, but we also acknowledge that as dietitians, it is absolutely okay to eat some animal products and small amounts of, of meat. Um, how do you feel about grass-fed beef? Is this the sort of top quality beef that's being promoted? Like you can't sort of get much better or much quote unquote cleaner than if you're buying grass-fed beef yeah so i think this is again something that, that's been promoted among certain influencers it's not something that i personally buy i just buy regular mints like i might buy a slightly low fat low fat mints um i do promote that my patients um enjoy red meat maybe like once or twice a week for the iron content and the b12 if they choose to eat meat um however yeah grass-fed beef i mean it's still high in potentially like saturated fat when you look at the nutrient value, there is potentially slightly more vitamins A and E and some unsaturated fats. However, it can be quite chewy as well. So not a lot of people like it and it is quite expensive. So I think it's one of those things that if you're only having it once, twice a week, you've got to think, what is the health benefit of switching that product? And if it is having an impact on your health, switching from um, traditional fed to, to grass fed, you probably need to address your diet and maybe switch to more of a plant-based diet. So having red meat once or twice a week, it's not going to do a big difference. So if you like the taste, by all means, have it in small amounts. But I personally, I don't spend my money that I spend my money, for example, on like buying things like nuts and healthy snack bars to send me save me time rather than grass-fed beef that I have once or twice a week. Mm, mm. So I mean, there might be a small uh, added benefit if you've got the money and you're happy to spend it, but it's not something that's going to give us a huge kind of bang for our buck when we look at our diet overall. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, you can almost like compare it to like organic fruits and vegetables that if you've got the money and you want to spend it, fine, but actually the regular product is a-okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the next one, I had an interesting discussion with another client with, and she was saying to me, I'm really working on sort of cutting down my caffeine intake. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Like I'm all for, you know, I think a lot of us probably drink too much coffee or too much caffeine. And she said, so I've swapped my, um, my long black for um, uh, cold pressed juices. And I was like, no, no, why? <laughs> and so how do you feel about cold pressed juices? Because a lot of people use them um, as a, I guess, a better alternative to just juices, or they use them in, in terms of sort of like a cleanse or a detox like they'll do a cold pressed juice cleanse for the week or something like that so again do you feel like cold pressed juices are more nutritious than normal juices and that these are top quality fluids um or is it just a very expensive health halo yeah i would say again like very expensive health halo and really i mean if you love to drink juice i'd say like fine you, you can have it daily but like i said before keep it to that 150 ml so like no matter how juice is made, whether it's cold pressed or extracted by another method, it still produces free sugars. And that's the free sugars that we want to be cutting down on. So that still contributes to that 30 grams a day. So 
we get much more benefit from having the whole fruit. Even if people wanted to have a smoothie, I think smoothies are slightly better than cold pressed juices because you're getting all of the fiber. Um, so yeah, cold pressed juices. I think if you wanted to make a cold pressed juice slightly healthier, I would add some greens and maybe limit the amount of juice that you're actually adding. And from a weight loss point of view, I mean, I've got a lot of patients who buy like liter cartons of things like smoothies and juice, and they might go through it in like one or two days. If you have a look at how much 150 ml is like, there might be like six or seven servings in that liter pack. So, or, or, or a bigger pack if you're buying it. So just be wary of the serving sizes and more, more of a healthy halo food is not necessarily better. Definitely. And the last one um, probably brings us back to the, the sugar track with the manuka honey and the organic brown sugar. It's the Argive nectar or the Argave nectar. Um, I think you pronounce it. So again, I've, I've never really used it. Don't really buy it. But I was I had an interesting um, experience at the supermarket the other day where there was a lady, a couple in front of me, and she was asking the, um, I don't know, he must have been maybe 17 or 18 years old. He was sort of the manager in charge of the, the checkouts at the moment. And she's saying to him, do you sell organic Argive nectar? It's like, it's like honey, but it's it's way healthier for you. Like I need to put it in my baking. And this poor kid had just no idea. He was like, oh, I don't really know what that is. Um, he's like, if it's like honey, maybe it's near the honey aisle. And she's like, no, no, it's a health food product. It will only be in the health food aisle. And I was, my husband just looked at me and rolled his eyes and he was like, oh man. And I was like, don't get involved. I was like, stay out of it. But I was like, again, how do you feel about this sort of organic archive nectar? Is it a better alternative when it comes to sweeteners and sugars or again, just another health halo, which we're paying a lot more for, but it's really just sugar at the end of the day. Yeah, I think you just said it in a nutshell. It definitely is another health halo. Um, there is some, I mean, it's got a slightly lower GI glycemic index than sugar, so it releases its energy slightly more slowly. But because sugar is sugar, we still need to be limiting the amount. Um, so if you're vegan and a recipe calls for honey and you've got the money and you want to spend it on the uh, agave nectar or maple syrup, that's fine. But like you said at the start, like sugar is from a plant. Um, agave nectar is just from a different plant and it's still sweet. It's still sugar. So please just have it in moderation and you do definitely do not need it as a part of a healthy balanced diet. Um, I think the other problem is, is that when you squeeze, for example, if some patients swap sugar for like agave nectar or a syrup in their tea and coffee, and when actually you squeeze it onto like a teaspoon, you can actually pour a lot more than, for example, when you do sugar because it's like a liquid. So if it's making you have more sugar throughout the day, then that's definitely not a good thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And particularly for the cost of it, like, you know, cane sugars, what, maybe a dollar for a kilo? Like it's it's very, like we're not here promoting sugar, of course, but it's very cost effective. And I think a lot of people always say like, you know, healthy eating is so expensive, but it can be if we're, we're sort of falling prey to a lot of these health halos. Um, you know, if you're you're doing baking with organic um, manuka honey or you're baking with the argive nectar, that's going to be a hell of a lot more expensive than just using some normal um, white or brown sugar in your baking. Yeah. And do you know what? As well as cost, I think there's also perception that if you do some baking and you swap the sugar, for example, like agave nectar, you can then eat more of the product. Mm. So actually what I'm telling patients is that I'd much rather you have that rich, indulgent cookie and sit down, savor it and enjoy it rather than binging on some kind of like cookies that have got like agave nectar instead of sugar because you'd be getting a ton more sugar, a ton more fat, a ton more calories. So it's much better to have the real thing, which is often more satisfying 
in smaller quantities. So I call it soul food. Um, I think some sometimes these health halo products, they don't quite hit the spot. So you have a lot, lot of it and then you're still left craving the real thing. So actually just have the real thing. Don't let food control you. Um, and I think like that's the way forward for a healthy balanced diet, just including everything, but in moderation. Such a sexy word is moderation. I'm 100%. I call it soul food as well. And I'm exactly like you. I say, if you're craving something, have a small amount, enjoy the heck out of it and move on rather than trying to pl- replace it with these healthier alternatives, which we end up eating more of long-term anyway. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful. Well, as we're coming towards the end of 2021, it's so crazy to think. I feel like we just got gypped in terms of 2020 and 21 all together because of COVID, but we're nearing the end of the year. What's probably one of the biggest nutrition trends that you've seen um, in 2021, do you think? So I think I think there's been a big focus on kind of like your mental health and your planetary health. So for example, there was a big thing on almond milk and actually almond milk, um, most of the almonds come from California. So it's things like air miles. Um, so I've actually switched to oat milk and I think on the packet actually says kind of like where the oats are from. So maybe enjoying food that's more like kind of locally produced if possible or just within the same country so for example like we're in apple and pear season at the moment so even if you choose so if i live in the uk going for apples with the union jack on it means that, that the air miles are reduced um and i think yeah just like what we said before about um, immunity and gut health but also preying on the vulnerable so these high dose diets um sorry high dose supplements and the iv drips I think the problem, I think you alluded to this before, is almost like people think that by going for things like these IV drips or these high-dose supplements, they don't have to do the basic day-to-day stuff to protect yourself. For example, wearing a mask, washing your hands, like they are the fundamental things to stop kind of like bacteria and things spreading. In addition to getting your five a day, if you get your five a day, like you're covering most of the nutrients, like your B vitamins, your vitamin C, um, it's still five a day in the UK, interestingly enough, even though there was at one time like a campaign to try and get people up to 10. But I think in Australia, I don't know if this still exists, but I always tell my patients like you guys had a campaign that said five plus two, mm. five veg, two fruit, which I think is fantastic. Go for two and five. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love that. So yeah, so like the five a day message is still there, but I think it's mainly around like gut health and immunity. Um, and then, yeah, a big focus on the planet and reduction in meat and plant-based foods. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners at home, um, if you didn't pick up on the five-a-day message, if you're listening from somewhere in the world that doesn't really talk about that, what um, Nicola's saying is go for five serves of vegetables a day, which, as I mentioned, in Australia, ours is go for two and five. So it's two serves of fruit, five serves of vegetables. So that's one of our sort of public health messages around nutrition, which I think is really important. Um, and then as we're heading into a new year, you know, very soon, 2022, what are your big trend predictions from a media and a health perspective for next year? What do you see the big one, two things um, coming our way, do you think? So I think as we go into summer, I think like alfresco dining and appreciating that outdoors post-COVID is going to be a big thing, especially restaurants um, over the last year. They have really upped their game with regards to outdoor dining. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that that's something that we want to encourage, like social eating. I think definitely carrying on with the environmental issues and the gut health trains. Um, comfort foods and soul foods, I think, as people are getting back together again. Um, even I think dietitians have got a role in how can we make some of these comfort foods that people are having a lot of, for example, things like lasagna, how can we make them slightly more nutrient dense, like throw in some extra vegetables. But also I think thrifty cooking and saving money. 
Um, we recently, so my husband went through our bank statements and I realized how much money I was spending on food. So for example, the online food shop, going down to the local food, um, food shop at the end of my road, and we've actually switched supermarkets and we're saving a fortune. So I'm going to try and get that message across to my followers about how they can save money, especially if people have been out of work. Like it's been a really tough couple of years. I, like I don't know anyone who's not been affected. So I think the social side, I think money saving, are definitely going to be themes for 2022 enjoying food and drink absolutely and I've actually seen um, in the last couple of months I don't know if it's just because I'm pregnant a lot of companies are reaching out to me I feel like one of the big trends for next year might be more non-alcoholic um, drinks that are available you know non-alcoholic um, versions of spirits and cocktails and wines and that sort of thing which I'm all for I think particularly during COVID and lockdown uh, a lot of us have overindulged in alcohol a little bit probably too much so I feel like you know learning to cut back particularly from an alcohol perspective Perspective is wonderful for our health, but also our mental health as well. So I'm sort of excited to see whether a non-alcoholic cocktail spirit world takes us. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? In the UK, that, that started to be a big thing around a couple of years ago. Actually, in 2018, when I was pregnant with my first toddler, um, we have got some amazing non-alcoholic distilled spirits that with like a slimline tonic just taste absolutely delicious. So yeah, and most of our nice bars do sell these non-alcoholic cocktails, also known as mocktails. Um, and I'm always really shocked when I go into a bar now and they don't have a non-alcoholic section. So I think you're completely right. I think the bars that don't currently offer it will. Um, yeah, because our supermarkets now, they've definitely got about kind of like, like five different varieties, especially kind of like it's the gins um, and they are delicious. So yeah, I don't feel like I'm missing out. Exactly. Yeah. And at the moment we just came back from our baby moon um, and we, I was trying a lot of the mocktails, but I just found like a lot of them were basically just like fruit juice. Like they just tasted, I was like, am I just drinking soft drink here? Mm -hmm. So I really think that bringing in the range of, you know, non-alcoholic spirits and making that into a wonderful mocktail, which isn't kind of juice or soft drink base um, with using more botanicals and herbs and some fresh fruit, I think will be really, really exciting. So I'm all for that. And I do hope that that trends a little bit more next year. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't agree more. Like my pet hate is when the mocktail is literally just kind of like five fruit juices thrown into a glass and I'm like this isn't what I expected yet with it with a mint leaf on top <laughs> yeah the distilled spirits and like a mixer are just delicious and yeah you don't feel like you're missing out it's a really enjoyable drink so um yeah love that wonderful and then to wrap us up Nicola what would be uh I guess one message you would like to leave our listeners with when it comes to sort of health and wellness if you had one parting message to share with our listeners what would it be I would say that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And if you really want to know if a product is healthy, just turn it over and look at the back. Like look at the ingredients list and remember that the word sugar can be jazzed up in so many different ways, like the word organic, the word syrup, but don't be fooled. And I think just apply common sense. Often people almost like forget that their gut instinct, you know, if it's a fruit or vegetable, single ingredient is probably going to be a lot better for us than something that is in a packet where sugar is like the first ingredient or syrup, it's fine to include these soul foods, completely fine, but it's the portion size and the frequency that matters. So it's all about balance and taking a look at the bigger picture. Nothing's out of bounds, no black and white thinking, no good and bad foods, just good and bad diets and just enjoy your food. 
with people as well. Don't forget the social aspect. Oh yeah, the social aspect is so important. And speaking of socials, can you let our listeners know where they can reach you, um, you know, potentially send you an email and follow you on social media? Yeah, so I've got two social media accounts. I've got my Nick's Nutrition account, which is spelled N-I-S, N-I-C-S, sorry, nutrition. So Nick's Nutrition. And I also have at Mummy Nutrition, which is where I share my day-to-day life as a mum of a toddler and then as pregnancy. And I've just actually launched my first ever ebook for mummy nutrition so that's talking people through what to eat and drink and what supplements to take before during and after pregnancy so it's like my third little baby that i'm quite proud of my first ever ebook wonderful and where can our listeners get access to that or perhaps you can send me a link and we can include it in the show notes yeah if you just go to mummynutrition.com you'll see the link at the top or a blog post but yeah i will definitely send you the link thank you so much wonderful and lastly nick do you have um, a website is it just um is it there a nick's nutrition one or is it just mummy nutrition yep nick's nutrition too so n-i-c-s nutrition and they're both linked so nicksnutrition.com mummynutrition.com but you'll mainly find me over on instagram sometimes twitter sometimes facebook sometimes youtube but mainly Instagram. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with our listeners today. Um, And I guess cutting through some of the noise when it comes to um, nutrition in the media and helping us bust some myths today. It's been really, um, it's been really wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this chat. You've been great. Thank you. 